Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. This week, who of you actually took some time at least once to practice mindful thankfulness uh, during your time this week? Okay, if you did, good job, you get a gold star. If you didn't, the good news is this. You can begin practicing thankfulness right now for the fact that I'm not going to call every one of you up here and ask you to share publicly how you practice thankfulness this week. Everybody wins in Professor Jonkowski's classroom. And if you weren't here last week, or perhaps this is your first time joining us, and you're sitting in your seat and thinking, what in the heck is this dude talking about? Um, don't worry, you're in good company. Um, there are a lot of people who ask that question when I speak, so um, you're not alone. My wife especially asks that often. So let me help to perhaps alleviate some of your confusion in this moment and quickly catch you up. Uh, we're actually in the middle of our November series called Thanks and Giving. And last week, uh, Pastor Jason delivered a powerful message that challenged us to develop a lifestyle of an intentional thanksgiving by expressing gratitude each day for our blessings. And he concluded his message by exhorting us this week to be able to find at least one thing each day for which to give thanks, hence the homework check. And now if I was to personally grade myself this past week and how I was able to complete that homework, I would give myself a solid C+. Not an A effort, but C+, which is good to know because that was roughly the grade I averaged in high school, so I'm still hitting par for the course, which is good to know. Um, And I would give myself that C+, because while I didn't practice mindful thankfulness every day last week, I did three or four times try to stop and give thanks to God. And now before you judge me too harshly for my gratitude or lack thereof, let me give you some context for my thankfulness last week. You see, guys, I found Pastor Jason's challenge to intentionally give thanks each day to be extremely difficult because I don't feel that I have many circumstances in my life recently for which to give thanks for. Instead, I find it's more appropriate or reasonable to complain or grumble about the current state of affairs in my life. And at least by the world standards, or by the very least my own standards, I feel like I have a pretty good case to do so. Let me just share with you a little bit of what's been going on in Don and I's life over these last few months. Two months ago, Don and I found out unexpectedly that we had to be uh, move out of our house in Jackson that we really loved due to no fault of our own. Had to go find a place, and you know the rental market these days is terrible. Shortly after we moved into our house, I had to put my dog of 14 years down. Of course, during that time, we also grieved and mourned the loss of a dear friend and brother. If you add to that mix then the overarching um, stresses of having to renovate this building, the external pressure from COVID and politics, I can say quite honestly that I did not feel like I had much to give thanks for. 
And even if in that moment I could find some things externally, some circumstances externally for which I could praise God, which all of us can, right? I woke up in the morning, I can breathe, I've got fingers, eyes, whatever it is. We can all find things to be thankful for. Even if I could, I don't know that I would want to. And all of this got me thinking this past week. I know, that's a scary thing when Nick thinks. But I find it easy to give thanks when life is easy. I find it easy to give thanks when life is easy. When I find myself in the normal routines of my everyday existence, when I find that God is blessing me or there's an overabundance of blessing, I find that my ability to give thanks in those moments is less hindered. It's in those moments when I am unfettered to freely raise my hands to God and say, thank you, Lord, for the blessings in my life. But what about when life is not easy? What about those times when life doesn't go the way we expect it to? What about those moments in life where we find ourselves buried by heartache, by pain, and by loss? Do we give thanks in those moments just as easily? I can tell you this morning, church, for myself, personally, the answer to that question is a resounding no. It's a resounding no. In fact, much to my shame as I was thinking over these last few weeks, I can tell you honestly, church, that there has not been literally probably one time in these last two months where I've stopped and said, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, over these last two months. And the truth is, church, sometimes I struggle to give thanks to God when life gets difficult. Sometimes, honestly, simply put, there, there are times in life where I don't feel like being thankful. Can anyone in here relate to that? I mean, I imagine, church, that there are, for everyone that is sitting in this room this morning, there are circumstances or situations that you've experienced in your life or perhaps you're going through at this very moment where you don't feel like giving thanks, where even the thought of giving thanks is the farthest thing from your mind. Maybe like me, in those moments, it feels more appropriate and reasonable to grumble and complain about some legitimate gripes that you maybe feel. And these seasons in our life where there's a dearth of existence of gratitude in our hearts is often the result of what we believe that our ability to be grateful or to have gratitude is tied directly to our external circumstances. For example, when we are thriving at work, we give thanks. When we experience a deep sense of connectedness and love in our marriages, we give thanks. When our children are healthy and succeeding, we give thanks. When our bills are paid and our bank accounts are full, we give thanks. However, if as we believe our thankfulness is the direct result of our external circumstances, what happens, church, when the fountain of our blessings begins to run dry? Will not also our thankfulness in those moments begin to run dry as well? What happens when you're unexpectedly let go from a job? What happens when our marriages feel like they're crumbling? What happens when we have kids that are perhaps wayward? When debt collectors are knocking at our door? I've been in each and every one of those moments. What will you give thanks for then? The interesting thing is I think God must have known in those moments that as human beings we would struggle at times to give thanks because this idea of thankfulness is actually mentioned a whopping 71 times in the New Testament alone. 
And how many of you know that if God says something 71 times, there's probably a good chance that we should pay attention to what God's saying, right? I mean, honestly, if Don had to tell me something 71 times, one, I would probably be sleeping on the couch, but then number two, I would probably better clue into the fact that this is something that's important to her and I better listen. And the same is true of God when it comes to his discourse on thankfulness. If it matters to God, it should matter to us. And not only are we going to see that, but we'll find out in just a moment that God's command for us to be people of thanksgiving is not limited to a specific time or place or circumstance. And so let's discover together what God has to say about this idea of thankfulness by turning in our Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. And as you turn there, either in your Bible or on your phone, I'd like to quickly set the backdrop for what's happening in our passage this morning. The book of 1 Thessalonians was actually written by the Apostle Paul in AD 50 and was directed to the Christians at the church in Thessalonica. These believers who received Paul's original message were not some rando group of believers either that happened to belong to some church down the street. It's actually quite the opposite. The church in Thessalonica was a church that Paul and his associates had actually gone there to plant. They had toiled and labored with these people, and thus they had a very close relationship to the church and the people that were there. They had a very close place in Paul's heart. And so Paul, when he was planting, had to leave that area because widespread religious persecution broke out. And it says in Acts 17 that Paul actually had to flee under the cover of darkness to get away from the persecution. And so he had to leave a lot of these friends behind as he ran from the persecution. And so you can imagine that if you're Paul and you have these friends who have been left behind in this struggling situation, you're probably going to be a little bit concerned for them, aren't you? You're probably going to want to check in on them and want to know how they're doing. And so Paul does this. He composes a letter, which we now know is the book of 1 Thessalonians, to encourage and exhort his friends to pursue the faith in the midst of their desperate and trying situations. And so Paul, at the end of this letter, through the guidance of the Holy Spirit, issues some instructions that are meant to guide the believers at this church towards godly living, even in the face of persecution. And this is where we'll pick up our text for today. Let's read what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.18. It says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Now, church, I would hazard a guess this morning that most of us have some familiarity with Paul's words in 1 Thessalonians 5.18 either perhaps as a direct quote or some variation of it that somebody perhaps told us one time. Maybe it was your grandma said, hey, Billy, you know, be thankful and everything as she handed you a, like a Werther's original or something. And be thankful for this candy. And I would say, no, grandma, I can't be thankful for that candy. It's gross, man. Get that out of my face. But we've all had some kind of experience probably with 1 Thessalonians 5.18. I mean, as far as recognizable Bible verses go, it's ranks among like John 3.16 or the golden rule. However, what is less common is the general consensus on the degree to which Paul actually expects us to apply this verse to our lives. 
For most of us, when we think of 1 Thessalonians 5.18, we typically believe that Paul is either saying one of two things. We believe that Paul is either whistling past the graveyard, trying to encourage his friends in Thessalonica to be of good cheer in the midst of some very difficult circumstances. Hey guys, I know it's hard, but buck up. Or we tend to believe that Paul is presenting some idealized vision of thankfulness in the life of the believer that was never meant to be a standard to achieve, but more of something to aim towards. And as a result of all of these different interpretations that we have when we see 1 Thessalonians 5.18, we tend to internally edit Paul's words to sound something like this. In most things, give thanks. In some things, give thanks, or give thanks when I feel like it. However, there remains a third option this morning, church, an option that I think many of us, including myself, are slow or less likely to consider, and that option being that Paul actually meant what he said, that as a Christ follower, we are to truly give thanks in every circumstance. And of course, when we hear this, our hearts, which are much more accustomed to complaining and groaning, are going to buck and fight wildly inside of us against this plain interpretation. Because if true, it feels impossible. If Paul really meant what he says, it feels impossible. I mean, does he also expect us in this moment to be like Superman, right? Like we're faster than a speeding bullet. We're stronger than a locomotive. We can leap tall buildings in a single bound. Surely we decry. Paul cannot mean that we are to give thanks in everything. But Paul is serious. And don't call him Shirley. (laughs) Only a few of you who are above the age of 40 will understand that reference. Uh, youth and high schoolers, you can ask your leaders what that means. Uh, But Paul isn't mincing words in this passage, nor is he merely overstating the matter. Paul plainly means what he says, and he offers no exceptions, no excuse, and gives no allusions to any other circumstance or situation that exists outside of the parameters that he sets forth. When Paul says, in everything give thanks... He means that whatever lot, whatever circumstance, whatever the struggle, whatever trial, whatever testing we endure, that we are to be thankful and give thanks. And this is not to be some thanks that's just to be shot off into the ether either. It's a thanks to be directly given to God for our situation. How do I know that Paul means what he's talking about in 1 Thessalonians 5.18? We know this because as we examine the whole of Scripture from cover to cover, over and over again, church, we find illustrations and examples of God's call on us as His followers, the people of God, to be people of perpetual thanksgiving. In Colossians 3.17, he says, Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord, giving thanks to God in Him, our Father. An illustration, an Old Testament illustration of this, in the face of overwhelming odds, was Job, 
who literally lost everything, everything his, from his home to his family, he lost it all. And yet Job, having lost everything, still says this, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. King David also steadfastly affirmed his resolve to remain in a state of perpetual praise when he wrote in Psalms 34.1, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall be continually upon my mouth. If any of you know anything about King David, you know that that was a dude who went through some really dark experiences in life, experiences that the world would say, you have no reason to give thanks. And yet David said, I will bless the Lord at all times. And I don't have the opportunity nor the time this morning to go through all the different portions of Scripture that talk about thankfulness. As we already said, it's mentioned 71 times just in the New Testament alone. But just from this small sampling, we can begin to understand that Paul is not presenting a new idea in Thessalonians, but rather he's stating something that is taught clearly throughout the entirety of Scripture, that we are to give thanks in everything. And of course, the rebuttal that most of us have, the most obvious rebuttal to Paul's command in 1 Thessalonians is to question why. Why should I give thanks when... Life is hard. Why should I give thanks in everything when my heart is breaking? Why should I give thanks when my life seems to be crumbling? Why, God, should I give thanks? Why? How can God possibly ask and expect us as his children to give thanks when we lose our jobs? How can God expect or ask for us to give thanks when our marriage seems to be falling apart, when our children are hurting when we receive a bad medical diagnosis, how can God expect us to give thanks? Not only does God's command to give thanks in everything feel impossible, it almost feels cruel. And I think the key to helping us unlock our understanding of thanksgiving in every circumstance is found in a single word that is actually repeated twice in 1 Thessalonians 5.18. And that word is in. That word is in. Because first Paul says this, give thanks in every circumstance. And for the believer, those of us who follow Christ, who profess faith in Jesus, there is a vast difference between praising God in every circumstance and how some of us read that verse to praise God for every circumstance. There is a difference between praising God in everything and praising God for everything. God does not expect us to praise Him for our children when they are hurting. God does not expect, expect us to praise Him for a chronic illness. God does not expect us to praise Him when we see a diagnosis come through. God does not expect us to praise Him when we are hurting in any way. Because if we're praising God for a situation, we might well be praising the devil in that moment for his unholy plans. Church, the preposition is in, not for. We are able to thank God in every situation, not for every situation. And the overarching principle that sets all of this into place can be found in another of Paul's letters. In Romans 8.28, it's a familiar verse, a lot of you will know this, but Paul writes this, 
And we know that all things work together for the good of those that love God who are called according to His purpose. That is an umbrella that covers every situation in life, isn't it? That we know that in all things work together for the good of those who love God. That no matter what happens, it falls under this umbrella of Romans 8.28 and that we can know and be sure that in everything we encounter in life, it too will be accompanied by our God who promises to work all of those things together for our good and glory. The circumstances themselves that we face may not necessarily be good, but God promises that even in the midst of those circumstances, He will repurpose those things and use them for our good. And so if we believe that God is at work, church, if we believe that He is sovereignly in the midst of every contingency of life that we face, then we are free to begin to give thanks in every circumstance for the work that God is doing in our lives, even in amongst the tears that we might have, because we know that it fits to God's ultimate plan for us. It's really not unlike when um, I go to the gym and work out. Because I, I go to the gym quite a bit, and people sometimes hear, man, you're in the gym, you know, four or five times a week, whatever, and people will tell me, oh, you must really love working out, bro, like, you're in there pumping that weight. And the honest truth is, I hate working out. I hate it, man. It's, it's quite the opposite. I hate being in the gym. Because when I go in the gym, man, and I exercise, it is painful. I sweat more than any human being should rightly do. And oftentimes, I am sore for many days afterwards. But the truth is this, is that if I um, can be thankful for the process of pain that I might inflict upon my body, if I know that the end result is going to be that I am healthier because of the exercise, as long as I stop and keep my eyes focused on the end result, I'm able to push through a process or endure a process that is less than happy or joyful. And the same is true when we encounter difficult circumstances in our lives. Even though it is painful in the moment, if we stop church and we take our eyes off the circumstance and look towards a God who says, I am working all of this for your good and for your eternal glory, then in the midst of everything, we can give thanks. So we could say that Paul's first use of the word in deals exclusively with God's position in our lives. as He promises to use all of these circumstances to work things together according to his eternal purposes. That's the first in. The second in deals exclusively with our position in Christ. And so let's quickly look again at what he says in verse 18. He writes this, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. What Paul is exhorting here to both the believers in Thessalonica as well as us here today is that our ability to be thankful should not be directly tied to our external circumstances. Certainly, as Pastor Jason said last week, it is good and it is right for us to stop and praise God and acknowledge Him when we experience blessing in our life. But as we've already said, our circumstances are often fleeting and can change at a moment's notice, thus limiting our gratitude to a very specific moment or situation in life when we are at right 
with the world, and the world is right with us. But instead, Paul says, and he's making the point, that we need to anchor our thankfulness in every situation to our position in Jesus. Because while the world may shift and change underneath our feet, the eternal promises of God for those who have called on faith in Jesus can never change and will never be taken away from us. And so we see this, that we can give thanks in everything in Christ because of our promises that Jesus says. In the midst of a difficult circumstance or situation, I can give thanks in Christ for my salvation. In the midst of a difficult circumstance, I can give thanks in everything through Christ because God has poured out the necessities that I need for my spiritual life. I too can even give thanks for God, the treasures that I have stored up in heaven, where Jesus said that neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. And in the book of Colossians, Paul takes this idea that he's shared in 1 Thessalonians about this idea that thankfulness is a command for those who are in Christ. And he expands upon this. He says not only is it a command, but it's also the defining characteristic of those who are mature in Jesus. He says this in Colossians 2.6, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him, established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. Wow. Did you catch what Paul's saying there? Paul is saying in this verse that we are to walk the right way. And then when we walk the right way, our lives will be overflowing with, gushing with gratitude. Towards, the, um, towards Jesus and what we have in Christ. In Christ, you and I ought to be characterized as people who are people of thanksgiving. When people encounter you and I on the streets because of our position in Christ, people should say of us, man, that person is somebody who is always speaking thanks, no matter what situation or position they find themselves in life. That person is just overflowing and bubbling forth with thanksgiving from their mouth. That word, in Christ, for those who have called upon Jesus as their Lord and Savior through faith, it modifies us, or at least it should. You who are Christians, you who are in Christ Jesus, these are the ones that Paul is speaking to. He says, this is God's will for you as you are in Christ. God wouldn't will it for the world. There's no point in him willing it for the world. They can't be in a position of constant joy. They can't be in a position of constant communication to the Lord because they don't have a relationship with Him. They're certainly not going to be in a place where they're giving Him thanksgiving. But you, church, and me, you who have a relationship with God, you who are certainly um, in a place where you have been joined to Him, that will that of God has placed a mandate on our lives to be in a position of continual thanks. And it's in Christ alone that we find reason to give thanks in every circumstance. So herein lies the rub. Herein lies the difficulty. Because if we take Paul's words at face value, and we believe, as Scripture teaches, that we are to give thanks in every circumstance, because God, we believe that God is working in our lives, and because of our position in Christ, how do we practically live that out? 
Because as I already said earlier, it's easy to be thankful when life is easy. But how do we obey the command of 1 Thessalonians 5.18? When our hearts are troubled, when we're experiencing incredible difficulty in our lives, when we experience pain or loss, it becomes much harder. And so how do we do that? I love the example that Corey Temboon sets forth. For those of you who don't know, Corey and her sister Betsy were in a Nazi concentration camp. And she tells a story in particular that kind of underlines this idea of practical thanksgiving in every circumstance. So let me read this story to you. Corey said that not only was the camp filthy, but there were fleas everywhere. Corey's sisters, Betsy, who was imprisoned with her, insisted that 1 Thessalonians 5.18 was God's will for them. In everything, give thanks. But giving thanks in a flea-infested place seemed unrealistic to Corey until she realized why the guards were not coming in to the barracks to stop them from praying, praying and singing hymns. They wanted to avoid the fleas. And so the prisoners were free to worship and study the Bible. Yes, the fleas, even the fleas, were agents of God's grace and reason for being thankful. Man, I hear a story like that and a testimony like that, and I say that's the kind of thankfulness that I want to exude from my life. If Corey Ten Boom, in the midst of a flea-infested concentration camp, can say, I still have reason to praise God. If David, being chased by a mad tyrant king, can still say, I will let the praise of God be on my lips and give thanks. If Job, who sat in amongst the ashes and the boils on his body and says, I will still bless the name of the Lord. If Paul, who stood in chains, said, I will give thanks in everything then I must be able to give thanks in every situation as well. So how do we do that? How do we practically begin to live that out? Church, I know there is only one way, and that way is Jesus. Jesus not only shows us the way, but he uh, both the way and he shows us the way. And I think one of the best places to see Jesus showing us the way of, uh, uh, showing this is this way is during the Last Supper. In Luke twenty-two nineteen, it says that Jesus took the bread and when he gave thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body for which has been given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And that Greek word in this verse is euharisto. Um, uh, Sorry, I had to practice that. Euharisto. It's that word right there. Practice with me. Euharisto. Say it back. Euharisto. Euharisto. That word euharisto means thanks. And I found that Anne Voskamp, a theologian and pastor, helps to unpack the meaning of this word when she writes this. The root word of euharisto is charis, meaning grace. Jesus took the bread and saw it as grace and gave thanks. He took the bread and knew it to be a gift from God and gave thanks. Euharisto, thanksgiving, envelops the Greek word for grace, charis. But it also holds as its derivative the Greek word shara, which means joy. Charis is grace, euharisto is thanksgiving, and chara is joy. 
So now for a moment, let's think back to Jesus' Eucharisto moment and re-examine the story of the Last Supper. When Jesus breaks this bread, essentially what he's saying is, thank you, Father, that my body symbolized by this bread is about to be brutally broken and I am about to be momentarily damned by your wrath so that you will receive supreme glory in being able to forgive undeserving sinners and that I will share eternally fully with hundreds of millions of forgiven sinners made righteous through my sacrifice. You see, Jesus' thanks in that moment was not the result of his circumstances. He was literally hours away from enduring one of the most painful deaths imaginable to a human being. And yet it says he felt thanks because he was thankful to the Father for the grace and the glory that he was um, coming, for the grace and glory that was coming because the cross would bring that. It was Eucharisto. It was thanksgiving for the grace and the glory that was coming. And so Jesus' Eucharisto moment is fueled by his belief in future grace. That what the author of Hebrews, that's what the author of Hebrews meant when he says this, Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand in the throne of God. Jesus' eyes in this moment were on the future grace that will lay before him. Jesus got through the cross because he kept his eyes on the joy that was promised as a result for the Father. And that's where God wants your eyes this morning, church. That's God where God wants each of our eyes as we are going through these difficult seasons. It's why we are able to give thanks in every circumstance because our eyes are not focused on our circumstances, but they're focused instead on our future glory and the promises of God that he gives us. So in those moments next time, church, when you don't know what to do and you're in a moment where you're wrestling with expressing gratefulness and thankfulness, practice Eucharisto. Practice looking forward to the future hope and glory that awaits us. And what is that future hope and glory? The very best possible one you could ever imagine. And I would encourage you, um, I'm going to put some verses here up on the screen to write some of these down. Write some of these verses down and use these as euhoristo to practice that as you go. Because when you feel like you cannot offer thanks to God, we still hold on to the promises of our future glory. You have a free gift um, of complete forgiveness for all your sins extending into forever. Romans 6.23 You will never have to earn your righteousness by keeping religious rules and regulations. Galatians 2.16 You will have all your real needs provided for while on earth, Philippians 4.19. You will receive all grace that you need at all times that you may abound in every good work, 2 Corinthians 9.8. God will complete the good work he began in you, Philippians 1.6. And you will be raised from the dead and never die again, 1 Corinthians 15.52-53. And church, that's just a sampling of the promises that we have in Jesus. The joy set before Jesus is the same joy that is set before you and I because we are heirs to him in the kingdom. And so some of you might be thinking, I have trouble right now in my life. I understand. As I've said earlier, Don and I have been going through seasons where we've been experiencing trouble, but don't be surprised. Jesus said you will have trouble, and Jesus understands that. 
In fact, the trouble that we endure in these difficult times has purpose. If you are displaying, it gives us a place where we are displaying the reality of Jesus to the world in a very unique way. The kingdom of God has most clearly shown on earth when Christians, when us as believers, gratefully suffer present trouble because we see the future glory coming that makes everything in this world seem as light, momentary afflictions in comparison. So how will we give thanks in every circumstance? There's only one way, church. Jesus' way. We practice Euharisto. We practice keeping our eyes on future glory. So church, this morning, as you go forward from this place, keep your eyes on Jesus. Look to the future glory and believe that there is um, reason through Christ alone to give thanks in every circumstance. Will you pray with me? Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering. For service time, directions, and to learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world, visit us at mosaicwi.com.